All right, all right. Hey, uh, let's, I'm, I'm excited for today. I'm excited for today. Let's, um, uh, I think God has some good things in store. So I, I've got a, a short 13-point sermon I want to share with you today. So let's ask God's blessing for speed and clarity. God, oh, they think I'm kidding, but I'm not. God, thanks. Thanks for your word. It's so rich and it's alive. So, Father, would the simplicity and the potency of your word just rest on us today? That would bring about change and impact in us. That would see you more clearly, see things, life more clearly through the lens of your word, through the lens of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, right now, some of you are thinking, is he serious? Is he really going to preach a 13-point sermon? I've, 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 I've heard him do this before, and it's going to take all day. It's not. Truthfully, I have a plane to catch later this afternoon, so I can't keep you all day. Like, that's, okay. Um, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You guys are familiar with that? There's a, a general term we call that chapter. Somebody tell me what it is. The love chapter, right? You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to have any faith to even have this scripture read at your wedding, right? Like it's just, it just all about love. And we've got a, a cute little sign hanging up in our, our North classroom that has this verse on it. And it's so, you know, it's so nice. It, 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 anytime you talk about love, it just feels nice, doesn't it? Um, and, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk just about that. We've been, we've been in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, looking at this, particularly, particularly looking at this phrase, faith expressed in love, right? If you guys remember, you've been with us through the series, uh, Paul is addressing this, this, this religious mindset uh, that says, like, it's all about following Jesus, but they want to add these other things to it. And he says this, listen, in Christ Jesus, when we're talking about our faith, in Christ Jesus, none of that religious activity matters. The only thing that counts is, you guys know it by now, faith expressing itself in love. Faith expressing itself in love. And so I, what I find is really interesting is, is in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, even before we get there, let me tell you the context. Paul's addressing some similar things in 1 Corinthians 13 as he was in Galatians chapter 5. You see, 1 Corinthians uh, thir- or 12, it, Paul is addressing this issue where these, the, the believers in the church, the Christians in the church, they really valued some of these, these spiritual gifts. And, and Paul talks quite a bit about these different gifts that he gives to different believers, and, and, and it's beautiful. But what they were doing in Corinth, this church there, they were, they were elevating some spiritual gifts over and above other ones. Like, oh, you speak in tongues. That's really, that's cool. Like, that's really the cool one because it's like all mysterious. And, oh, this, this gift of prophecy, man, you can like tell the future and stuff. Or, or you, know, they, you know, there's some, some miracles. And, wow. and they, they were, they were kind of like had this ranking system, it, it feels like. Maybe it wasn't ever written down on paper. But, you know, there were certain things that you valued more than others. And, and so Paul writes this. This in his letter in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, listen, all the body works together. And he wraps it up and he says, does everybody have all the gifts? Absolutely not. But he, he finishes 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in, in a really cool way. He says this, um, now eagerly desi- desire the greater gifts, which is funny because it's exactly what they were trying to do. They were going like, this one's better. This one's better. He's like, 
eagerly desire the greater gifts. And he says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then we get to 1 Corinthians 13. And so I want you to hear this. In, in light of this idea of, of the gospel and then people adding religious activity to it, I want you to get this. When we're talking about faith, and, and, and when some people are like, like super Christian, you know, anybody know any super Christians? You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, man, they, they, they have it all. They, they, te- they can teach anything. They, they live perfect. They're just super Christians, right? Just in case you're a super Christian and you find some confidence in your super Christianity, okay? I, I, want, you to, I want you to hear what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, ooh, that would be cool, right? I can speak in angel language. Cool. But don't have love? I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise. If I have the gift of prophecy, ooh, this one's great. Like I can, I can speak into people's situation, things I may not even have known. I can, I can speak it. I can see it. If I have the gift of prophecy and I, can, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith, get this one, faith that can move mountains. Jesus talked about this kind of faith. Could you imagine, like I've never seen that happen where somebody is like, hey, in the name of Jesus, mountain, you move over there. I've never seen that happen. But if you did, If I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am what? Nothing. Like, how can that really be? Like, for real? Like, if you have faith that can see miracles, but you don't love, Paul says, so what? If I have all these spiritual gifts and I can, I can do all this spiritual stuff and I can put it on on Sunday morning, but I don't love, big deal. Like, that's powerful, isn't it? How about this one? If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is incredible. Like, I mean, these are super Christians, right? (laughs) These are the ones that are doing it. They're, 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 they're the preachers. They're the evangelists. They're, the, they're working miracles. They're, they're, they're speaking into people's lives. Not just on Sunday morning, but if, 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 if could you imagine if, if you walked into a restaurant after lunch today and there was somebody in the wheelchair and you're like, you're telling your friends, hey, I, I think God wants me to, to pray for that person because I think that he's going to heal that person. They're going to get up and walk today. And the people that you're with are like, no, 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 don't, 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 like, don't, <laughs> right? Don't embarrass yourself. And they're like, no, but really. And they're like, no, but really. <laughs> like, no, I'm going to do it. And they're all like, uh, I don't know you. And they, then, then you walk over and you pray for that person in the wheelchair and they get up and walk out of the chair. Like, could you imagine what would happen? And then you go self-righteously stand in line with a, with a bit of contempt about your friends, towards your friends, because they thought you were being weird and you don't act in love. Paul says, big deal. Like, let's put it into context. That'd be weird, right? That's what Paul is saying. He's like, you can do miracles, but you don't love the people you're with. You're missing it. 
You can get up and preach a sermon or you can teach a class or you can, you can inspire others. You can have faith that leads to your martyrdom. But do so without love. Jesus says it this way, I think, in, in, in Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 7 or 8, um, the end of the Sermon on the Mount there, um, I believe it's chapter 7, he says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that, 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 anybody else just scratched their head on that? Like, how do you do miracles in Jesus' name? And then Jesus says, I don't know you. And I think Paul's instruction here in 1 Corinthians 13 gives us an insight into that. I don't know how all that works in God's economy, but I know this, that he said, that John says that God is love. If we live faith, and religiously, and spiritually, and do all the things, but don't love, John says, you don't even know God. This is strong. And so, I'm con- I don't know about you guys, I don't know about you, I'm convicted by this, aren't you? Like, this part of me is like, God, I, I want to, like, so often I think I want to grow in my relationship with God, and I instantly go to, like, spiritual activity. And what if, what if God is like, yeah, I want you to grow in your relationship with me, but this is how I want you to do it. I want you to go love the person sitting next to you. Or the neighbor that always has their music up too loud too late. I want to go give him, get him saved so then he'll know the error of his ways and turn his music down. But what if God is just calling you to love them and bake them cookies? Faith expressing itself through love. Jesus was saying it. Paul was saying it. And so he, I, I love this. First Corinthians verses, chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. If we do all the right things without love, it's, it's, just, it's nothing. But here's the thing. Okay, so here, here's the deal. I, I think there's, not I think, I know. I, I hear this a lot. There's, there's a lot of like, oh, the church is broken. Ah, oh, everybody's doing it wrong. Anybody heard that? It's just lately, uh, you know, over the last decades, right? Like, ah, oh, and here's the deal. We are like naturally bent to see the worst in everything, aren't we? Listen, the church is not perfect because people like me and you are in it, okay? Um, and, and, you know, we, sometimes we go like, ah, the church is not working right. The church isn't what it should be because we're reading the headlines. Or sometimes we're like, ah, the church isn't working or the church isn't the way that it's supposed to be because the th- people right in front of me are being dumb. Which also could be said, like, I just have a real narrow perspective of things. People aren't doing things the way I think they should be done. Therefore, the church is broken. <laughs> Guilty. All right. Um, here's, the, I just want to tell you something. I want to change the the tune for you. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. Let me just tell you, okay? Uh, there is more. I, 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 it's almost like comical to me now. I just like, I, it's an eye roll. The whole denominational thing, right? Like, look at all these denominations. That's signs that the church is divided and broken. No, it's not. It's a sign that they have a different address than we do, okay? Like, 
That's it. I have friends across all the denominations and nearly all of them care less about their denomination and more about the brotherhood of, Je of the saints of Jesus Christ, okay? So let me just tell you, let me just debunk. Is there competitiveness in places in the church? Sure, there's, there's all, as long as there's error in people, there's going to be that kind of stuff. But let me just tell you what, the church of Jesus is alive and well. Friends, we are seeing people get saved. I'm going to tell you from personal experience, I am, I'm seeing people who are hungry to love God better. I'm seeing people who are hungry to love one another better. I'm seeing people who are ready to sacrificially um, to, to point people to Jesus and people who are trying trying their best to figure out the ways to love others, to live out their faith through love. I'm seeing it, friends. So if, if you're in a spot where you're just very, very, like, like have a pessimistic view of, of the direction of the church, let me just tell you this. Jesus can take care of his church. You don't have to. So that being the case, I, I, I want to say all this to say this is not a pessimistic view this is an optimistic view. And so for all of you who are in here today who are like, I want to love God better and I want to love people better, but I struggle. Hey, let's just learn from scripture how to do that better, right? So this is from the assumption that we're all on the same page today going like, I just want to grow. Now, here's one of the reasons why we tend to start struggle with loving each other. I mean, bottom line, I'm super selfish. That's why I struggle with loving people, because <laughs> I'm just, some of you are looking at me like, you're selfish too. Come on. All right. Um, that's, the, that's the primary reason I struggle to, to, to love the way Christ has, has called us to love. Um, but there are certain things, like we live in a world that's broken, don't we? Right? Just turn on the news. Just talk to a friend. We live in a world that's broken. And, and there's no denying that. Read the Bible. Oh, and it also says the same thing the news does. The world is broken. And so, but here's the deal. Because we live and we're so familiar with this broken world, there's certain broken ways of thinking that creep into our ways of thinking. That's why I think uh, Paul encourages the Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your minds in Romans 12 too, right? That we need to constantly be washing our minds in the truth of Scripture, and, um, and so I want to do that today. So what, I, what we're going to do next is we're going to look at the next several verses of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because what we're going to find is that, that what Paul describes as love is, is most of us agree with, right? Nobody went to that wedding and heard Psalm, or heard 1 Corinthians 13 read and went, no, -uh, that's not true. Right, right? Like we didn't, we didn't do that. You didn't walk into your friend's bathroom and be like, yeah, right. That's not love. Like, like we agree with the concept. Okay. And, um, we see it plastered all over the place. The thing is, and, and this is my job, this is my, my goal. My favorite, let me just tell you, my favorite way to preach is to find scripture and just try to like make it as like, like bring it to the forefront and, and make it as obvious as we can and not dance around it at all, okay? So I'm gonna do my best to add nothing to, to this rather than just hold up scripture. James calls, calls scripture a mirror. Let us look into it and, and then just like uncomfortably struggle with what we're looking at, <laughs> right? 
Um, so that's, that's what I want us to do. Because here's, here's the deal. Some of this world's ideas, because the world has ideas of love, doesn't it? The world has ideas of love. And I want to guard us from, from this, this hybrid love where we're like, I know the biblical principles, but I still live in this world. And there's these certain biblical principles I'm now filtering through and allowing some of this world's perspective of love to affect us. So, so anybody want some pure, straightforward ways to love people, right? We ready for it? Okay. Even if it's not comfortable, you're, you, you told me you're, loving, you're ready for it. So here we go. First one, already uncomfortable. Verse four, love is patient. I hate patience, don't you? I mean, if we're just gonna be human, right, okay? Now, now let me talk about one aspect of patience here real quick um, that we in the church, I think we need to be careful of. And that's this, I've done it a hundred times. A hundred is conservative. You ever have those light bulb moments with God where the light just like, boom, goes on? right? But you realize, or whether you realize it or not, usually that didn't happen in a moment, did it? Right? One of the reasons I like, and, and uh, man, I put a plug in for this, rejoiceministriesinternational.com. Go there, sign up for the men's sabbatical. One of the things about the men's sabbatical retreat that I go on every year um, is that I feel like God speaks to me really clearly in those times, but it's not usually anything new. It's usually like there was all these puzzle pieces in my life that I didn't know I had, like this and this. I didn't know they all connected, and then all of a sudden he just connects all the dots for me. I'm like, oh, God, you're amazing. Thank you for sharing that with me, okay? Anybody else have uh, ever had an experience like that before? You're like, oh, man, it's just coming together, right? So we have those all the time. I hope you have those all the time. Um, some, they're huge. Some, they're small little things. But you have those moments where you're just like, the, the light bulb goes on. You're like, yes. Oftentimes, we would go, you know what? God has been teaching me this over the last several weeks. And God looks down and he goes, several weeks? I've been teaching you that since you could, like, speak, right? Like, there's these things. Like, he's, he's like, I've had you on, like, a five-decade journey. You think you just got that, like, in a week? No, 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 no. See, God is patient with us, isn't he? He's so patient with us. He's like, are you kidding me? You're just now getting this? No, he doesn't do that. He's patient with us. And so this is what we do with our new revelation. Oh, my word. I now all of a sudden see the urgency of evangelism. I need to tell everybody about evangelism. And if you don't have the same passion about telling people about Jesus as I do right now, because I had this like light bulb revelation, then you are an inferior Christian. Man, I just learned the Father's heart of God. And it changed my perspective on everything. If you still don't get that, you wrestle with this here, I don't even know if you're saved. God has so much patience with us, then we get this new revelation, and we expect anybody who's not where we were, weren't a week ago. You see how silly that is? So let me just say this to, to all of our Christian brothers and sisters. We're on a journey, but the journey is different for all of us, right? Like, so we homeschool our kids. Like, you have book one, and then after you get done with that, then you have book two, then you have book three, then you have book four, then you have book five. 
And then the next daughter, when they come up, they do book one, and then they do book two, they do book three, they do book four, then they do book five. And the next one comes through and does book one, and then book two, and then book three, and then book four, and then book five. That's not how our spiritual journey works. It's more like if you had a map the size of this building, and, and, and spiritual maturity is right in the middle of it. We all start at various places on there. And there is, there is revelation moments. There are aspects and attributes of God. There is truth scattered all around. And God just leads us in this meandering way towards greater level of maturity. Just because I've experienced some revelation from God, some truth about God over here, I want to look at my brother over there and say, like, how can you not get this? You're so dense. You're so immature, and guess what? He's looking at me saying the same thing. Love is patient. The world's love is now, right? There's no patience. There's no waiting. If you're not where I am, then you're not good enough. Now, we'd never say that directly, but we feel it. You're not where I am, therefore you're not good enough. Which also meant I probably wasn't good enough like two weeks ago. (laughs) But I forget about that. I forget that I've lived my whole life where you are right now, but God showed me something new, and now I'm going to hold that as an expectation over every Christian I've ever met. And if you're not there yet, then you're not there yet. Love is patient, friends. Love is patient. We, We, that's enough, you get it. Love is kind. The world's love is right. Love is kind. Real love is kind. The world's love is right. Let me just tell you something. Okay, let me just, there, there's a verse of scripture. Paul writes to a young up-and-coming preacher, uh, Timothy. He writes in his first letter there, 1 Timothy 2.2. He says, do whatever you can to live a peaceful and quiet life. Now, this sometimes flow, like comes in contrast with the life that we feel like Paul lived and I need to be a Paul. Paul tells Timothy, live a peaceful and quiet life. Paul tells the Corinthians that real love is, is kindness. Love is kind. So there's, there's a part of us that goes, no, no, we got to be bold. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is offensive to those who aren't ready to hear it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to be abrasive for Jesus. You laugh, but you know those people, don't you? If you're not laughing, you might be one of those people. I don't know. Um, right? But, and, and, and to, be, to be serious, though, there, there's an element where I, I understand. There, there is a, a certain, like, underlying Christian culture that thinks that, that like, um, Christianity is passivity. It's not, friends. It's not. Christianity is not passivity. But love is kindness. And we're supposed to be love right? So this can be delicate. I get it. Um, but here's, here's where we have gone wrong. That we think if we're right, we don't have to be kind. Right? We think if, 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 if we're right, then we don't have to be kind. You see, Peter says it this way, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Yeah, get them with the gospel. You know what the next line is? But do this with gentleness and respect. See, we don't be like, yo, we got an Old Testament, these guys. 
Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the, the steady decline of what happens in sin and the road that sin takes you to a place of complete depravity. And we love to talk about that. Do you know what Romans 2 says? Don't you dare be the judge. Or have you forgotten that God's kindness leads to repentance? Huh. If, if, if I'm going to take this, okay, this is where I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to take as much of me out of this, but I'm just trying to connect some dots here for myself. If, if God is love, so it's not just an action that he does, it's a way of being. If God is love, and I'm supposed to be like God, and love is kind, and anybody like it when people are rude to you? Any, anybody preferred rudeness over kindness? Any, any, anybody? No? Okay, no hands. All right. So listen, we all like people being kind to us. I, I strongly believe that if, if, if we as Christians lived this, um, that the, the, the stigma of Christianity in the United States would be drastically different than it is today. Rule of thumb, not guaranteed all the time, rule of thumb, you as a follower of Jesus should be liked by most people you know. That seems like a weird way to put it, but like if we're just going to break this down to its simplest forms and love is kind, I'm supposed to be kind in my interactions with people. People like it when I'm kind. Then people say, oh, what about, what about tough love? That's a, real, that's a genuine question, right? There, there's, two, there's two types of people that tend to ask what about tough love as soon as you say love is kind. There's two general types of people. One is someone who's genuinely wrestling through a, an issue right now where it's like, I don't know how to act or behave. Like, I don't know where to draw boundary lines. There's people who are like, I'm wrestling through this right now. That tough love is a real thing and I got to, whatever. The other category of person who instantly responds love is kind and says, um, what about tough love? They're typically people who are, are, are looking for um, justification to not be kind, <laughs> right? Love needs to be tough at times. But love is kind. The moment we start looking for the loophole and then calling the loophole the exception is when we get things out of balance. You see, the the world's way of loving says being right is most important. And if I'm right, then kindness falls behind that. And I don't really have to be there if I'm right, right? But just think about it. If we as Christians loved, kindness would flow. And um, I think there'd be a different picture of what, who Jesus is in our society today. All right. Next one. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. I'm going to put three together. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. The world's love is a competition, right? The world's love is a competition. But this is what Jesus says. Well, you don't envy. You don't look at where you're at and be like, I, man, you've got more than me. We need to balance the love scale. I'm going to talk about it in a, in a marriage. That's the easiest way to see this one, I think. All right. 
hey, you've, you've got it easier than me, so I, I deserve, I gotta balance this scale. Love is not envy. Love to not boast. All right, let me just, <clears throat> guys, you ever done this? Married guys, you ever done this? Like you get home before your wife and the sink is full of dishes and you're like, hey, this is gonna score me some points. All right, so you go and, uh, and you go and you like do all the dishes. And you're like, I'm, 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 I'm putting the chair, I'm wiping down the counter, I'm cleaning the, hey, I did the, I'm gonna clean the whole house. And then, and then you get done and you're sitting there waiting for your wife to get home, right? And you're like nonchalantly just sitting there reading a book, like looking up, like. <laughs> she didn't say a word. And so what you have to do is you have to low key brag, make sure she notices, right? <laughs> right? Hey, uh, sorry I didn't get to the project out back. I was just, you know, tidying up in here a little bit, putting the dishes away. No, I mean, no big deal. And she's like, for crying out loud, it's the first time in like three years you've done it. So good job, right? (laughs) See, because the world's way of love is always a competition. In that case, for both. The guy's like, hey, or it could be flipped roles, whatever. I'm just projecting my own scenario. I don't know. Um, right? Like, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to like, uh, I gotta, I gotta make sure I love this. I gotta, I gotta make sure she knows I'm one up on her now because I did one thing that she does all the time. And then I have to boast about it. And then I'm going to be all puffed up about it. Like feeling really good about myself thinking you owe me now. She comes home and be like, oh, you want to play this competition, huh? <laughs> All right, let's go. <clears throat> the world's way of love is always a competition. There's always scorekeeping involved. I, there, there's some relationship, like you literally ought to just get a scoreboard in your living room. It'd be way easier, right? Just, but Jesus says, no, no, it's not a competition. We do that with one another as well. You know what? We do it with God. God, you saw what I did. No, we've never done that, right? You owe me now. God, that was bogus. You shouldn't have done that. You got you to gotta look the other way for at least 48 hours, right? Like, it, it's, it's not a competition. All right, let's move on to the next one. Love is patient. Love is kind. does not envy. does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. The world's love, it's still a competition, <laughs> Let me talk about a couple different dishonoring things that we do. See, we, we use dishonor as a way of leveling the score, evening out the score, don't we? You see it in, 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 in bullies on the playground. One kid bullies the other kid to make them feel better about it. And then we grow up and then we learn sneakier ways to do it, right? You're in, you're in a public setting and you, you make a joke that's kind of a jab that you know is going to get a laugh at the expense of somebody else. But you can write it off that it's never going to be a thing because they should just overlook it. But you just dishonored somebody publicly for your own sake. Proverbs has something to say about that. Um, Proverbs 26, 18. Like Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. What an illustration. I, love, I just love that. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. 
Here's another way we do it. We gossip. Church people don't gossip, though. They just have prayer requests for their friends. <clears throat> right? There was... <laughs> oh, yeah, you get it. All right. And here's another one I want to, I want to touch on. This, this does not dishonor. I, I, I just want to, again, I just want to hit on what real love is, what, what like, just is obvious, and then what we do. It does not dishonor, which means it honors, right? Let's use the negative. Right? So love honors. And I think one of the words that, like, is not the exact same, but kind of hand in hand with that is the word respect, right? Um, love honors Love respects. Here's a very, very common phrase you hear all the time is you have to earn my respect, right? Some of us said it. You have to earn my, they have to earn my respect. I don't just give, out, give that out. Okay, well, now that we've identified uh, that that has, is absolutely contrary to the teaching of Jesus, we need to do something with, with that. You see, what the world's way of loving does this. It says that I respect, I honor no man, no woman, no person until they show me they deserve it. God says respect is the foundation of the relationship that you are called to love other people. Whether they're in a position of authority over you whether you are in a position of authority over them. Respect and honor is started. Like it's the baseline, it's where we start. Even more so, we talked about authority about a month ago. Uh, especially if somebody has authority over you, that a position of authority, God calls us to honor the position of authority as well. And so when there's somebody in a position of authority over you that you say to them or say in your heart, you have to earn my respect, you have to earn my honor, you are doubly disobeying the direct teaching of Jesus. That we start, because we're called to love, we're called to love the world, we're called to live like Christ. You start from a place of honor. And then on top of that is another layer of positional honor, of authority that God has placed over you that we need to honor even more so. There is this, this thinking, and it, and it is, a, it is a, a largely kind of a, a Western thinking. It says, I give respect only after it's earned. Jesus says, no, 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 that's where you start. And, and you know why? I think because this world's love is still a competition. I'm going to stay ahead of you until you show me you're worthy of my respect and honor. I said, no, 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 no. That's like absolutely backwards. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. Next one. Love is not self-seeking. This one could be the only one in the list, and it would just cover everything. Like I said, my primary reason that I struggle to love people the way God has called me to love people is I think too much about myself. The world's love is always looking for a return. Um, those familiar with the financial world, you know what an ROI is? Your return on investment. 
You know, there's this, this language that we use today in the church and outside of it, whatever, is we talk about investing in relationships, right? I want to invest in my marriage. I want to invest in my family. I want to invest in my friendships. I want to invest in my church. I've used it, and it makes sense to some degree, but I, I want to compare for just a moment the, the concept of investing versus the concept of depositing. You can make the investments, that's, that's fine. What a revest, investment is, is I'm going to give this much in the hopes that someday I will get back this much, right? That's what an investment is. Um, if you give this much and you get back this much, they call that a bad investment, right? So here we've taken this idea and we've applied it to relationships and now we say, hey, I'm really investing in that relationship. Which means I will give until I have decided that it's not worth the return. I want to remind you of this the story of Jesus the evening before he goes to the cross. And he comes to his disciples sitting around the Passover table. And before he eats, he takes off his outer garment, puts a towel around him, and he kneels down and he washes his disciples' feet. Eleven of those guys, an incredible ROI. They changed the world. They're the reason we're here today. One of them was a really bad investment. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? He kneels down and he washes Judas Iscariot's feet. His betrayer. That's a bad investment. But Jesus wasn't trying to invest in his disciples. He was trying to love them. And love is a deposit. I have, no, I, have, I have no control on what happens if I deposit something into your account. L love is a gift. If I give this to you, I don't get to have strings attached. Right? And honestly, I, I think that's one of the whole tithing things. We're going to talk money. That's one of the whole reasons that tithing is, I think, important is it's not just designated giving. It's the first 10% of everything you give. You give it to the storehouse of the faith, the family of God, the church, no strings attached, undesignated, and say, God, this isn't mine at all. I'm, I'm going to love you with my finances by giving you 10% of all that I have, no strings attached. This, that's not an investment into the kingdom of God. That's a gift. See, but we do that in our relationships. You ever invest in a certain relationship and then you're like, man, this just isn't panning out, so I gotta cut ties. Now listen, I realize we have a limited amount of resources. We have limited time. We have limited um, energy. We have limited finances. So I get, there's times you're like, hey, I, I, I gotta make changes in life. I get that. But when we begin to look at all of our generosity from the context of investing, we're not loving. You might be making a great investment in the kingdom of God and a great investment in somebody's life, but Jesus says, and, and those are, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. But Jesus says, I'm calling you to love. And you're not going to get anything back. I'm calling you to give. With no expectations of any return. I'm calling you to lay down your life. To love me.
and to love my people. No strings attached. You see, but the, the love of this world is always looking for a return. And it's not even always for me, right? I, hey, I'm investing in this relationship. Like, hey, that's selfless. Except, except that you're going like, but if he doesn't do what he's, if she doesn't take my information and go better their life, if they don't use my investment and do something for themselves, then it's not worth my time. It's not worth my love. It's not worth my generosity. It sounds selfless. It's still so selfish because you value yourself so much that you have to control the outcome of the love that you give? What if we, the church, and this is just, what, oh man, what if we, the church, what if we, the family, just, even if it was just us in this room, said, I'm gonna start loving people with no expectation of return whatsoever. Right, you, you look at marriages in our country, still like at 50%-ish, and in divorce. I believe this is one of the primary reasons. It's because it's a competition and I'm always looking for a return. And when the return I get is not what I expect, when my return on investment drops too low, I'm out. Now's the deciding point. Is this a two-part sermon now or are we just, yeah, we'll do a two-part sermon, all right. I was afraid that might happen. Here's where I want to get to, and where I'll get to when I finish 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> we have this picture of love that's so romanticized. And I don't just mean in the romantic ways. I mean, um, I mean in every capacity. Um, it feels good and it sounds good. But you want to know something? Let me, just, let me just read. Oh, right after I shut my spot here. Let me just read the rest of that, that little section and, and we'll, get, we'll cover it next time. Um, I want you to know something. We always talk about love as an action, right? And we should love in action. But I, I want you to hear this. Love is patient. Love is kind. I'll have Terry come this time. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Listen, love is not just an action, love is a way of being. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle is one, because I get too much in the way, and the other is that, like, I keep trying to add loving to-dos in my life. But the goal of the Christian life is to become more like Jesus. John says God is love. That means, weighty as it is, I am called by God to, to be the embodiment of love to the people in my life. Yeah, go do loving things. And you'll make your list and you'll cross them off. If that's where you're at, start there. The goal 
is that we would begin to allow our character to be conformed to the image of Christ to the point where I am the second thought, not the first. To where patience flows naturally. It's not a conscious effort. That kindness is just normal behavior. If somebody's like, wow, you're in a good mood today. What's up with you? That's not a good sign, okay? Which is... <laughs> Some of you are like, That's, uh, yeah, I get it, okay? I want envy and boasting and pride to look so foreign on me that when I were, if I were to step into one of those characteristics, people would say that like, hey, are you okay? I want to be, I want to live a life where honor comes naturally because I'm putting other people before me no matter what. Where I'm not seeking myself, where I'm not easily angered, where I'm not keeping records of wrong. I'm not, uh, I'm constantly protecting those around me, trusting those close to me and always seeing love went out. Friends, this is not a a to-do list. This is a to-be list. (laughs) We must guard ourselves and learn how to recognize the world's love masked in religious communication. We can always find it. We can always find a way to justify our selfish behavior. We can always find ways to justify our bad attitude. We can call every jerk thing we say tough love. What if, what if the the church said, I'm going to be like Jesus, not in my efforts to do all the religious things, but in my efforts to love a world so unconditionally that the kindness of God would be seen through my life and would lead to repentance for those in my world? What if we were able to live the one characteristic that Jesus said matters most. But it will cost you. It will not be comfortable. You'll be taken advantage of. Like There's some of us that that's a real big deal. What if somebody takes advantage? Now listen, I want, I want again, I want to preface this in the same way that we did when we talked about the authority thing. Like if you're in a situation where there's somebody who's directly abusing you and like we don't have to allow that to continue right so if you're in an abusive relationship some capacity you need to get out from under that authority you need to talk to someone but as as a general rule the christian life isn't about (laughs) self-defense and we're gonna get hurt and we're gonna love and it's gonna be taken advantage of And guess what? That's going to make us just like Jesus. (laughs) We're going to give, and that gift is going to be walked on just like Jesus. We're going to sacrifice for others, and they're going to take advantage of it just like Jesus. He says, this is how how people are going to know. This is how people are going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Like, I believe... 
one of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have is to love one another in a way that the world looks on and says, I want that. But it takes every one of us saying, I'm gonna die to myself. It's not about me. I wanna be like him. God, we praise you, we thank you for your word. It's so simple, it's just so obvious. We're just talking about love. We all know we're supposed to do it, God. We all know it. But Lord, I'm just, God, I just wanna say sorry. for allowing like these, these worldly forms of love and expressions of love and attitudes in love to creep into what I call Christian love, real, true Jesus kind of love. God, we live in a broken world and, and, and Lord, if I'm honest, we're not, we're not immune to its influences. So here we are once again, your children saying, God, forgive us. But Lord, we also realize we don't have to stay here in a beaten down state. God, we know that out in front of us is opportunity to love one another and to love the world in a capacity that shows who you really are. And for that, I'm grateful. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for laying it all on the line for me. Thank you for, for loving me to the degree that you did. Thank you for your gift of salvation. God, all I want to do now, God, all we, we your people, all we want to do now is to, to share your love with others. God, with our voice and with our actions. We want, we want to represent you well. Help us represent you well.